Psalm 119, verse 105, reads, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Hello, and welcome again to the Faith Bible Church podcast known as Think This Way. My name is Bryce Beal. I'm an elder pastor here at Faith Bible. I have with me today Dan Geelock. Thanks for being here, Dan. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. Today we are continuing our study on the Bible, which we've been doing for these three months, January, February, and March, and we have something very practical to talk about today, something that whoever you are listening to this, you've already done several times today, and will do several more times today, and that is making decisions. Today we are talking about the Bible and decisions, or you could say decision-making How does the Bible help you to make the decisions that you have to make every day as a person and as a Christian? What I want to talk about today is in two parts. I want to talk first about a what we'll call a less clear guide to God's will, what you ought to do, and then later we're going to talk about a much clearer guide to God's will. But starting with a less clear guide to discerning God's will and making decisions in your life, We want to talk about some of what we could call subjective ways that Christians try to figure out God's will when they're making decisions. And to that end, I'm going to ask Dan, Dan, what are some subjective ways you've observed that Christians use to try to discern God's will? Well, in order to answer that question, I left my ephod at home, but uh, I did bring my Yahtzee dice, and I'm going to just toss those out because every decision is of the Lord, right? The lot is cast into the lap. And I mean, that's biblical, right? I see your turtle shells here. That's right. Yeah. You got and a liver opened here to yes, discern. Mm-hmm. And I left my tea leaves at home, but I thought that the Yahtzee uh, die that were uh, re- recommended and borrowed for uh, this purpose were helpful. But, you know, there was a, uh, there's a joke about um, subjective interpretation of God's will. And one, one thing that's a bit, well, frankly, it's a, uh, a bit superstitious is some people say, well, you just open the Bible and you flip to a page and you just plop your finger down. That's kind of dicey. William Cooper, who was a dear friend of John Newton, he was a man who wrestled with severe emotional problems. But he wrote a wonderful song that we sing today, and it's the song entitled God Works in a Mysterious Way. And I think that the words that he penned so long ago are very appropriate for us to understand one way that we can foolishly try to gauge God's will, and that is by his providence. And the words are pretty simple. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. And the key line right here. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. And unfortunately, we can foolishly try to discern God's purposes, God's will, or how to make a decision based on fleeting providences. And we may not get the big picture. Even Jacob, one of the patriarchs, 
said himself in Genesis 42, when he was threatened with the loss of Benjamin, he said, you have deprived me of my sons. Joseph is gone and Simeon is gone. And now you would take Benjamin. All these things are against me. But he didn't have the big picture. He didn't realize that God sovereignly ordained all of these things to bring his people out of a famine and into a place where they would grow into a population of more than one million. Those are good examples. And I think especially when you share Cooper's lines, those lines are so beautifully written, and I love when we sing them. Unfortunately for Cooper himself, he believed that sometimes. <laughs> and, and in that way, he's actually a good example for us of how sometimes we do better with this and sometimes not. I remember Cooper, at the end of his life, when he died, thought that he was cut off from God. And he, he even thought he had been a believer but lost his salvation. And when his friend John Newton said, listen, you believe that someone who's saved cannot lose their salvation. He said, yes, in every case but my own. And part of the reason he made an exception for himself was because of a dream he had, the contents of which he never shared with anyone. But that's another example of this subjective. He was looking at the cloud. He was looking at a dream that he had, and he was taking that as definitive as this is God's will that I, for what mysterious purpose, be cut off. What do you do when you're trying to know God's will so you can make a decision and you have an impression or you have a bizarre dream or you just feel like, wow, I should do this or you feel a piece about one decision or not about another decision? These things that we would call subjective guides to God's will and Dan, you pointed out very well that we as believers should not put primary emphasis on those things because they're less clear guides to God's will. And the reason I say less clear guides is, obviously in Old Testament times, New Testament times, you do see examples of God using all kinds of things, even a donkey, <laughs> to guide people in very bizarre ways. But this is not the normal practice of God. These subjective impressions we may feel, because God is sovereign, and rules over everything in the world, including impressions, including events, circumstances that are coincidental or more than coincidental, because of that, we can say God can use his providence to offer some guidance if he wants to, but we can never say with clarity in a specific case that that's what God's doing. Yes, I agree 100%. Impressions can be produced by a number of sources. God, Satan, an angel, a demon, human emotions such as fear or ecstasy, hormonal imbalance, insomnia, medication, or an upset stomach. Remember in uh, The Christmas Carol, the phrase that Scrooge gave to one of the visiting spirits, you could just be a piece of rotten fish. So those impressions, those subjective interpretations can be all over the place Absolutely. and are not to be trusted. Yep, that's well said. Dan there is quoting from, what is that? What is this book? Decision-Making in the Will of God, which is written by Carrie Friesian and Robin Maxson. Yeah. That's a very good point. Just one last example here on these subjective impressions. A reason this is so important in my own life, when I was a believer in high school, I excited about the Lord, had my own struggles, but when I went off to college to USI, which I was there for a year, 
In some ways, it was a very good year and I grew, but I was very tormented. And one of the reasons for that was all of the sudden, I started having these impressions that I needed to share the gospel with everyone. And I can't deny that sharing the gospel is a good thing to do. So, for example, one night I'm laying in my bed or my bunk in my dorm. There I am, or apartment. I'm laying there. I'm about to go to sleep. And all of a sudden, into my mind comes a thought, you should go downstairs to the people in the apartment under you whom you've never met, knock on their door right now, and share the gospel with them. Is that a good thing to do? I can't deny it, (laughs) but I'm so tired. Unfortunately, these impressions, and I did it, you know, I did it because I thought, what if it's the Holy Spirit? I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. But what ended up happening is these impressions became more and more frequent to where it was every day, all the time. And sometimes I'd go with them and sometimes I wouldn't. And when I wouldn't, I'd feel incredibly guilty and it became so life dominating that I really struggled. So after college, it caused me to think a lot about what do we make of these impressions as a subjective guide to what God wants us to do. Even a good thing like sharing the gospel. And one thing I realized is what you just read. These things can come from God. I, like most people, have had experiences where I've had an impression, hey, you should... I remember one time I'm driving by a gas station by my parents' house, and I, I just feel like I should stop and go in there. And so I do. And the guy working behind the front, he's a guy I went to high school with, turns out. And I share the gospel because it like comes up very naturally. So I think after that, wow, thank you, Lord. So God can use impressions... But it can also be rotting fish. <laughs> Not fish for me. I don't like fish. But it could be something in my stomach. It could be. And for me, I think what it was, which was probably true for Cooper as well in some ways, I think that was more just a mental quirk and not actually the Holy Spirit in every case. And that really helped me think through that. So it's important to acknowledge that God's sovereign and can use subjective means. Uh, he can use coincidences. And we can say, wow, that's from God to guide us if he wants. But here's the big warning. We should not trust our own interpretations of coincidences, acts of God's providence, and subjective feelings that we have as if they are the final authority on God's will. Part of that is because we can be confused. It can be mental quirks. It can be digestion. Another part of that is we all have ulterior motives in most things. So if you want something really bad, it's amazing how if you're looking for confirmation in providence, you're looking around for a confirmation of something you already want, you'll find it almost every time. So we have to be really careful that we're not just reinforcing what we already want. So someone could say, I feel a real peace about this decision. Could that be a peace from God? Sure. Could that be a peace because you just already want to do it and so you feel good about it? Also true. So these are subjective ways to make decisions, to find God's will, and we're just wanting to really de-emphasize them. Continue to see God's hand of providence in everything, but don't trust your interpretation of it or your feelings, etc. We want to de-emphasize those. But that doesn't leave us without any ability to make decisions because we have a much, much clearer guide to God's will And this should come as no surprise to anyone. It is the Bible. So I want to offer briefly a three-step guide for you when you are making a big decision and you want to know God's will, 
but it's something the Bible has not just come out and told you. So if you're contemplating, should you kill someone or not, that's very easy. The Bible says, don't do that. But there are many, probably most of our decisions are not like that. Most of our decisions are, should you move to another city? Should you take this particular job? Should you have more kids? Should you stop having kids? Should you marry this person or that person? And so forth. These are wisdom decisions. How do you make decisions like that? Here's a three-step process that alliterates for how you use the Bible to make those decisions. Number one, principles. The Bible is incredibly useful in us making decisions if we look at the Bible not as, I need this book to tell me where to live and who to marry and what job to take right now immediately. It won't do that. But if you look at the Bible as forming you as a person, giving you principles for life of what you should value and not value and how you should be, Then when you are making these wisdom decisions, the Bible is guiding you. It is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path because it's giving you the principles you need to make the decision. So if you're assessing, do I move to this small town where there's a nice job that I would like? Well, you might consider the biblical principle of fellowship. Hebrews talks about don't neglect meeting together and realize there's no solid church there. So that needs to be in place for us to make this move. And there are many other principles from the Bible to guide us. So first you look for principles. Number two, you ponder. So if it's a matter of moving here or there, staying here or moving there, you've considered the principles from the Bible that are guiding you, and it's still sort of a toss-up, then you need to ponder things that you might not even find directly in your Bible, like, is there a good neighborhood out there? Are there things out there, even things that you would enjoy? That's fine to consider as well. Is there a good school district, etc., etc., whatever it is? You have to ponder. This would be the step where you go ask some good counsel of people who know you well and will tell you not just what you want to hear, but what you need to hear You need to, when you're pondering, consider your own motivations. Do you have sinful motivations that are driving you? So you look at the principles, and then after that, you're pondering, you're thinking about it, you're researching if you need to, and finally, you pray. This should probably happen throughout, but the third P is pray. Before you make a decision, don't be tricked by the Gibeonites. You need to inquire of the Lord and ask that God would guide you, reveal ulterior motives if you have them, and so forth. So principles, ponder, pray. You do those three things in making a big decision. The Bible has guided you then in making that decision. As we come toward a close here, I want to talk about one pitfall in making decisions that I hope these three P's of decision-making will help you to overcome. And that is that sometimes, oftentimes, we can find ourselves with something we call analysis paralysis, where we are just afraid to make decisions, especially big decisions. And the problem is any good thing you do in life is the result of a decision you make. It doesn't just happen. If you start serving in the local church in a new way, if you consider missions and then go off into the field, if you just stop by and visit a shut-in, if you share the gospel with someone, these are all decisions. You had to decide to do that. 
But for many of us, we can get paralyzed by analyzing pros and cons. Is this the right time? Should I do it? Should I not? What will this person think? That's usually what gets us. What will that person think? And what will that person think? And we do this until we say, okay, I'm not going to do it unless God makes it crystal clear and the turtle shells are obvious and the Yahtzee dice are clear and so forth. This is very paralyzing and we don't want to think about decision making that way. I have a quote here from Kevin DeYoung. He has a really good little book many of you have read called Just Do Something, talking about God's will. And he says, quote, So go marry someone, provided you're equally yoked and you actually like being with each other. Go get a job, provided it's not wicked. Go live somewhere in something with somebody or nobody. <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great line. But put aside the passivity and the quest for complete fulfillment and the perfectionism and the preoccupation with the future. And for God's sake, start making some decisions in your life. Don't wait for the liver shiver. That's subjective. If you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will be in God's will. So just go out and do something. The Bible reinforces that feeling in a passage like Luke 19, when you have the different servants who are given minas, and that last servant takes the mina, hides it in a handkerchief, because he knows, quote, that you, master, are a severe man, and so he just doesn't do anything, doesn't make a decision, but that's not actually a safe decision for him to not do anything. That servant, that accused his master of being severe and reaping where he did not sow, had no love or respect for the master. That was the main issue there. And in the parable of the talents, which we understand we are all to use, it brought me to a few passages. For example, Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. We are to remember that God gave everyone a gift and a job to do. When Christ ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. And so no matter how little you think it is, God gave you a gift and an ability to use not only to possibly honorably provide for yourself, but also to serve others. Secondly, that gift, it comes with a command that we are to use them in loving obedience and honoring God and serving others. First Peter 4.10 as each one has received a special gift, employ in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. And it goes on to describe how we can use those gifts. Thirdly, again, keeping in line with this reign of thinking, others in history have been used of God and encouraged to fight through their personal concerns, through their worries, through their timidity, through their Lack of ability to predict what's going to happen in the future. Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says, For this reason I remind you, kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So he needs to stoke a fire under that gift. Fan the flames and get it red hot. He follows that with this verse, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And then finally, we do need to remember that this is not uncommon, that there are others who through history in God's revelation have also struggled with this. Moses, he said, well, I can't speak. And God said, okay, fine, I'll give you Aaron. Who did the most speaking? It turned out to be Moses. And then of course, as I just referred to, Timothy. These things are not uncommon 
But because we love God more than we fear man, we want to be obedient, we want to love others, and so we work through our own issues. And so much like William Cooper, though he struggled emotionally, he also left an incredible heritage that we sing and tear up to when we sing that song about God moving in mysterious ways. Thank you, Dan. So you who are listening now, you should be very active as a Christian. That means you're going to be making lots of decisions. We hope that through this you'll be encouraged to do it. Just make those decisions, use principles from the Bible, but then just ponder principles, ponder, pray, and then just you've got to do it. So it might be that in the past you've looked more to subjective impressions that you feel or you're looking for the turning of a leaf or for some sign from God before you'll make any decision or enter into any form of service. It may also be that in the past you've just been paralyzed by a fear of what people will think or what may happen if you make a decision and it doesn't turn out greatly. That might have been the way you thought in the past, but from now on may God help you to think this way.